Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, hello. good morning, church. What? Sad difference? <laughs> How did we pull this off? It's called excellence. Uh, but anyway, uh, my name is Andre. I'm the lead pastor here at the city. Uh, if this is your first time joining our YouTube stream or our Facebook Live for our online service, a very warm welcome to you. We are going to do service, uh, this portion of uh, where we typically, you know, uh, expound and exposit God's Word and learn from His Scriptures together. Uh, we're going to do something a bit different uh, for this Sunday. It's going to be really special. I'm joined uh, by a couple of my colleagues. I'm joined by... You can say your name. <laughs> hi, hi, I'm Janice. Right, and? And I'm Tim. Right, and so we are all on staff here at the city, and so uh, we are going to be privileged to be uh, doing something uh, really interesting for you uh, this morning. But before we get moving on, uh, love all the announcements that we covered uh, just now. I'm so excited to have Pastor Eugene with us uh, next Sunday. He's a real statesman in our country, a real pioneer in many ways, and so really excited for him to uh, share with our community. I believe it's going to be really powerful, so invite a friend. Please make sure you tune in. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and you know, many of you are also well aware that uh, in the last week uh, we have received word that there are some uh, relaxation or revision of measures uh, that are specific uh, to religious organizations like ours. And so please stay tuned for more information on that. We may be adjusting some things and uh, exploring how we can uh, reopen the church. Because here's the goal, you know, I, I, uh, this is comfortable, you know, this is something that uh, we've gotten really accustomed to doing. Uh, we have an amazing team that's behind the camera right now that's producing all these things. And so this is really special and amazing. But uh, you know, our heart and what we are convicted of through scripture is that the church is to be an embodied community. We are to be present together, receiving God's word, his sacraments, worshiping together. And so that is the goal. The goal is for all of us to come back together to be an embodied community, what we believe the church to be. Now, for this uh, Sunday, we are on week six of our sermon series, Enduring Faith. I don't know how it's been for you. You know, I've asked a few people, uh, how was the sermon series for you? And a lot of people, you know, typical response is, ah, it's, uh, it's different. You know, that doesn't tell me a whole lot, you know, because different good, different bad, different you wish you had a different pastor. I don't know what different means. Uh, but but I, I, I'm for, for the ones that, that uh, have shared more, you know, for many of them, you know, it's this raw experience, you know, we are touching on some really sensitive issues here, uh, but we don't do so lightly, we don't do so uh, haphazardly, we don't do so because uh, as a team we love a challenge, but we do so because we feel, a, the, first of all, the spirits, uh, you know, leading, you know, to uh, really, really delve into these topics, but also out of a kind of pastoral angst, uh, if, if I can be honest, you know, we have seen so many people uh, in our own lives, you know, in our community that have battled with these issues, and many of them, um, you know, view it as like a faith struggle, and some of them uh, see themselves as, as 
you know, completely departed from the faith just because they have uh, wrestled with these issues. And so our heart is to communicate that, hey, even in these moments, even through these struggles, there can be maturity, there can be deliverance, there can be a deeper intimacy with God on the other side. And so that's our whole heart for this series, for our community to have an enduring faith, especially through a year like 2020, where we would be inclined to forget all that happened. There is actually a lot that the Spirit is doing in our lives and in our churches through a year like 2020. And if we actually lean into it and recognize the Spirit's work, we can step into a greater maturity as a people. Amen? Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to share real quickly. Uh, but before that, you know, any thoughts you know, on what I just said, you know, like heart or like stuff that you felt about this series? You know, what are some highlights? What are some stuff that... Uh, you know, it's burning in your heart, you know, or like something that's motivated you through uh, the series, last five weeks. I think uh, oftentimes when we talk about like, you know, just growing closer together as a community, being more like, you know, real with each other and deepening our community life. Um, you know, there's nothing more like get it down practical where the rubber meets the road is when you really have like some difficult heart to heart conversations. And so, I mean, not to say excited, but you know, I'm I'm glad that we are able to open up conversations about some of these because it's true. Like like what uh, you said, like we do see people struggling. We ourselves sometimes would find ourselves in that space of struggling. So, uh, what better way than to talk about this and create a safer space uh, than we otherwise would if we not talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, personally, I, I think I can relate to a lot of the, the things that we covered uh, and, and they've been really painful and really real like uh, seasons of, of my faith being challenged uh, and, and so it's really close to my heart uh, on some of these topics and, and I think, you know, really, um, I think my heart really burns for, you know, us as a community to have that kind of maturity, one as, you know, individuals to kind of grapple with these topics without, uh, you know, uh, losing our our, our drive, losing, losing that devotion, uh, but also for our community to have that maturity to handle these doubts, to handle these issues, and, to, and for, us, for us to all kind of walk together through it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, uh, in case you didn't know, this is Tim's first time uh, in a message portion segment like this, the first of many. Uh, we, are, we have plans. Janice and I have been cons conspiring. And so... Uh, uh, yeah, please encourage Tim whatever way you, you can. And so uh, Tim and along with uh, Pastor Janice and myself uh, have really been the ones who have put together the content over the last five weeks uh, through prayer, through research, through looking at scripture, through conversation. Many of them really robust uh, and that's produced uh, the last five weeks of content. And so a uh, privilege to have Tim join us in this q and R segment. Uh, we're calling it Q&R because Pastor Janice is really adamant on us saying, not saying Q&A because we do not profess to have the answers, but we can very well give a response. And so Q&R. Uh, we also have something up for you. Uh, many of you have already put in your questions. Uh, we will be able to get to some of them. Uh, many of them we aren't able to get to, uh, one, you know, out of the interest of time, but two, uh, some of these questions are more personal in nature. Uh, we actually need a lot more detail to respond to your question well. 
tell. And so if you found that we have not answered uh, your questions that you submitted, uh, and you really want your question to be answered, please reach out to us personally. We'll meet with you, get more details so that we may be able to respond to your question uh, properly. But uh, on that note, no, usually with Q&As, we have uh, the Sido link up. And so we do have the Sido link up. Again, uh, we will uh, be able to take some spontaneous questions uh, if we have time, but please uh, make it a point to plop in your questions. This will really help us frame uh, more content that we might, or more stuff that we might do uh, after the series to make sure that we are able to answer all your questions. Sound good, people? Awesome. Well, um, you know, in week one, we introduced this concept called post-traumatic growth. Uh, we did not invent this concept. This was something that psychologists theorized in recent years that post-trauma, you know, we understand that many people undergo a kind of stress disorder, right? After a traumatic moment, you know, we think of uh, people who've actually been on the front lines of uh, wars and battlefields, right? They leave that experience with a kind of post-traumatic stress, right? And it affects uh, not just uh, their psyche, their emotions, but their actual body as well. It affects them on a deep level physically. But psychologists in recent years theorize of another kind of outcome from post-trauma, and they talk about the possibility of growth, post-traumatic growth, and it's defined as such, it's defined as this. It's a positive lifestyle change experience as a result of adversity, other challenges in order to rise to a higher level of functioning. This is a secular definition. And so to rightly put it, the growth does not occur because of the trauma, rather it occurs when the person goes beyond an adaptive response and learns how to struggle with the potential transformational possibility of the trauma, right? And it's not the trauma that leads to the growth, but our response to the trauma, right? To embrace the possibility of transformation post-trauma. And we see this all through the library of scripture, don't we, right? Joseph in prison, Elijah on the run, Daniel in the lion's den, David in Ziklag, Paul in prison. And through scriptures, we gather that on the other side of trials, is salvation, is deliverance, is God being glorified. Which is why James said this in the text, right? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kind. Count it all joy. Because out of that trial, post-trial, can be salvation, deliverance, God being glorified. And so, this is the basic premise we've operated out of this series. We, first of all, want to acknowledge that the things that we've talked about, doubt, deconstruction, unanswered prayer, church wounds, these are things not to be celebrated. These are, you know, at base, you know, these are things that, that you know, many of us grapple on a deep level and, and it is distressing. Right, but the case we're making here today is that on the other side of these things, if we lean into it well, you know, it's salvation, it's deliverance, it's a deeper intimacy with God. And many of the teachers of the way of Jesus would agree that this, they, all the stuff that you talked about is often a midway point, not an end point in the journey of faith. It's a season often called the wall, dark night of the soul, wilderness. And so if we can see it from that perspective, then trials of struggle, I will put it to you both and you at home, is not a sign that we are regressing in our faith. At times, it can be a sign that we are actually further along in our faith. We are a midway point in a journey toward maturation. Now, when we talked about you know, redemption and maturity, we talked about like on the other side of trials, God redeeming it. Many of us think of it uh, or think of terms as like vindication. 
you know, on the other side of my trials, I want to be vindicated or uh, a kind of restitution. I want things to be restored back to me or we think of answers to our questions, our uncertainty. We think of things being made right on the other side of trials. But more often than not, we don't experience that, right? And though it's good, though it's right to long for restitution, restoration, and, and answers, and that is all right and good, I'd like to argue that there's something actually deeper and more precious for us to have a longing for, a vision for, on the other side of our trials. And I think of that text in uh, James. It says this, right, and in verse 4, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, or in some translations, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's James chapter 1, verse 4. And so what we are arguing for today, and the case we're making for today, is that on the other side of trials, though we long for things to be restored, for things to be made right again, what we're saying is that there is this great gift of maturity on the other side of our trials, of spiritual maturity, of a deeper, more robust faith on the other side of trials. So what does that look like, right? And I want to begin this time that we're spending together with looking at a text from John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And this is a post-Easter, post-resurrection story. And we know that at the cross, you know, Peter, the apostle Peter was, you know, he experienced a kind of disillusionment and disappointment. Uh, disappointment, uh, didn't he, right? He had this image of a avenging Messiah, right? This Messiah that would come and deliver him, quashed. Jesus was killed. He had his hopes uh, left unanswered, and he denies Christ out of fear and disillusionment. And you may say that in some sense, Peter doubted, he deconstructed, he was wounded in some sense, and he had his prayers go unanswered. Peter very much, uh, you know, in his journey of faith, embodies a lot of the struggles that we face today. And so on Easter Sunday, we know, right, thankful for the benefit of Scripture, and now on hindsight, Christ is raised from the dead, right? He is glorified. Peter is overjoyed. But as one can imagine, right, Peter, following that encounter with the resurrected Christ, was left with feelings of shame, guilt, disqualification, And it's in that state that Jesus comes to Peter and restores, reinstates, and reconstructs his faith. And this is, you know, I I believe Jesus' invitation to Peter to not just restoration, but a mature faith that has been tested, an enduring faith. In this text, you know, we see in John 21, three invitations that Peter uh, that Jesus offers to Peter as a way into, inf- uh, into maturity. And so I'd just like to take, it, take you through it real quickly to help frame our mind around this vision for maturity on the other side of trials before we answer your questions. If you look at verse 15 in John chapter 21, it says this in God's word. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? If we were to read scripture, we will know that these actually refer to fish. Right? You read it in its context. That's what Jesus was pointing to. Peter, do you love me more than fish? Now, Jesus is not asking Peter whether he prefers him to like fish. Like, do you like me more than sashimi? No, the fish was actually symbolic or something. It was a kind of condensed symbol, symbol right? It represented you know, to Peter a kind of career ambition. It was what Peter was familiar with. It was what was within his control. It is what brought him security. It was what he had always known. He was a fisherman before he followed Jesus. And that was what Jesus was getting at. Peter, do you love me more than 
your need for control, your need for security, your need for familiarity, what you've always known, what you are comfortable with, or would you trust me? So Jesus' first invitation to Peter unto this goal of a mature enduring faith is this. It is for Peter to relinquish control, comfort, and familiarity, and instead embrace trust. Embrace trusting one's whole life to Christ and Jesus. And if we were to read all through Scripture, Peter's struggle was not that of unbelief. It was control. He wanted to be in control of outcomes. He wanted to be in control of situations. And that's why he struggled on so many levels. It was an issue of control. And Jesus was speaking to Peter. Hey, Peter, would you relinquish control, your desire and need for certainty, and embrace me and trust me? Do you love these more than me? And then we read down further, uh, still in verse 12. Jesus' interaction with Peter. Jesus said, uh, Peter said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And we know that Jesus would take Peter through this line of questioning. He asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because we know through scripture that Peter denied Christ three times. And so this was kind of a beautiful healing and restorative journey that Jesus was taking Peter on. Now in verse 17, there's this curious line that says this. It said that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said then, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter was hurt by Jesus' line of questioning. He was hurt. I'd like, to, like you to note this. He was hurt as he was being healed. As Jesus was restoring him and healing him and reinstating, reconstructing his faith, he was hurt as he was being healed. Now, I think of this occurrence when I was, you know, I believe I was 11 years old. I had warts, W-A-R-T-S, not on my face, on my toe. I went swimming and then I had warts. And the way they treated warts back then, I don't know whether they still do now, is that they would, you know, take a, a sharp like scalpel thing and it would scrape off like the exterior layer, reveal a bit of the flesh, and then they would spray liquid nitrogen on it. Liquid nitrogen. And so imagine, 11 years old, screaming my lungs out at National Skin Center. And so... Uh, why did they have to put an 11-year-old boy through that? Because, you know, that was a necessary part of the healing process, right? And you know what was painful more than liquid nitrogen was the scraping thing. It was, it was absolutely painful. They scraped the skin off, revealed a bit of flesh. That was absolutely painful. And in some sense, they needed to hurt me initially in order to heal me, right? And that's what I think many of our healing journeys will look like. As we lean into healing from our wounds, more often than not, we will experience more pain initially, right? But it's all about trust. It's all about relinquishing control and recognizing that even as we embrace further pain, it is all unto the goal, the vision of being healed, being made whole. And so the second invitation of Jesus to Peter on this road towards maturity is this. It's embracing the healing journey, even if it means further pain or more pain. I'm coming to a landing, folks. What is this? A 10, 15-minute Andre sermon? There can be miracles, people, if you believe. Uh, verse 18, God's Word says this, Very truly I tell you, when you are younger, 
you dress yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And so we read this in the text, right? As you were younger, you were in control of life, right? You wore what you want, you went where you wanted. But as you grow older, as you matured, you will be led by someone else. And this text was, of course, a nod to the way that Peter would be killed. He would be led to be crucified upside down on the cross. And in some sense, this story is the story of Peter, story of, story of Peter's life, his journey with Jesus. But in another sense, you know, I, and I, I can't help but view Peter as a kind of archetype, as a representative, representation of all our faiths, his struggle, what he went through and now coming into this invitation to a deeper maturity. I believe this is all of our stories. This has the potential to speak into our own faith journey as well. And, you know, there's a lot of work that we can do, you know, with this passage that we just read. But I'd just like to draw your attention to just one point. In Jesus' restorative vision for Peter's life, right, losing control and all that, right, there was this invitation, uh, that he presented Peter. Peter, you will be led. Someone else will be in control of your life. When you're younger, you were in control of your life. But as you grow older, you will be led by someone else. You know, I recently heard it said that technique, technique is to a post-Christian age what sorcery was to a pre-Christian age. As a society, you know, we have become really technique-obsessed, haven't we? You know, we want the right technique. We want the right financial techniques. We want the right exercise techniques. We want techniques. We want the right formulas surrounding our parenting, our fitness, even our faith, right? Many of us think of like, okay, if I just have the right technique, the right formula to my spiritual life, I will just have it all under lockdown. And so I'm just going to read every single Dallas Willard book I'm just going to practice all the spiritual disciplines like infinity gems. And then when I have all of them unlocked, I snap my fingers and then bam, life in all its fullness. No more pain, no more struggle. I'm basically the second coming of Jesus. But at some point we realize that even with the best formulas and technique, our, you know, it doesn't materialize into the kind of outcome that we want. And then we realize we're not in control. Then we realize that we don't have it all unlocked. And then it's scary. And then it's confronting. And then we doubt. Until we realize this, that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I will be led. But I won't be led by just anyone. I will be led by the shepherd of my soul. I may not be in control, yes, but I have something better. God is in control. It does not mean that he's in control of everything that happens to me. There are some stuff that is just antithetical to the way of Jesus and his character. But it does mean that I'm under his care. He watches over me. And as we read, read in this text, this invitation of maturity, embracing Jesus as Lord, is to be led where we would rather not go. And that is Henry Nouwen's definition of spiritual maturity. The willingness to be led where you would rather not go. Not just to the mountaintops, but to the valleys. Not just to the promised land, but to the wilderness. Trusting that Jesus, wherever he leads you, has a divine purpose for your life to lead you into a deeper maturity, into deeper faith, into deeper intimacy with him. 
And so what is possible on the other side of trials? I hope for your lives, vindication, restitution, restoration, answers. I long, for, I long for you to have that, but I also long for you to have a vision beyond that, beyond just stuff being made right, to have a vision of a deeper maturity on the other side of trials, a faith that actually endures, a faith that stands in the midst of even the harshest of circumstances. And so if I can leave this imprinted in your mind, like I, I, I would be really, really glad you know, that, that uh, if you could have that you know, as a vision, a compelling vision, even as you work through all that you need to, to desire a deeper maturity. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to enter in a time of Q&R, but before we do that, you know, I just felt that we really need to pray into this you know, for just a moment. So let's just take a pause. We're praying to this before we get into the questions. Jesus, we just want to respond this morning to your invitation to a deeper maturity. God, first of all, we recognize where there are areas in life where we've been passive, we've been apathetic to you and to your invitation. And how God, you know, indeed, you often use the trials, the testings of life to awaken in us, to awaken in us the deep, a, a reality, to awaken in us our deep need for you, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for your mercy that is present even in trial, how you awaken our senses to our deep need for you. And so God, we as a people say that we want to grow in maturity. We want to grow to be a kind of people who are able to relinquish control and trust. We're able to embrace the healing journey no matter the pain we're able to be led willingly where we would rather not go, to trust in your vision for our lives above and beyond the world's vision, above and beyond our own vision. We trust in your vision for our lives, oh God. So Lord, help us as your people. Give us grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Folks, thanks so much for humoring me, but... Q&R time, folks. Uh, this is going to be really fun. Excited to hear all the responses. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, I, I just have to say this, I think Tim's input uh, in this time of questioning is invaluable because Tim has actually been through a lot of the stuff that we talked about, doubt, deconstruction, still processing a good chunk of that. But, and so I think he has like life experience but also a ton of wisdom to speak into this. And so I'm excited to have Tim speak into this space. Aren't you excited, Tim? Very convincing. It's as though you were forced to be here. Um, but yes, let's do some questions and response. Uh, we have a bunch of questions that we have on our slides that we have curated uh, from the, uh, the, uh, the, the form. Yeah. But uh, as always, you know, please pop in your questions. If you have them, we'll try to get to them to the best of our ability. And so the first question uh, that we've received that we'd we'll like to uh, you know, speak into is this. Yeah, is this. <clears throat> what if you feel that there isn't a safe place or person within your church community that you are comfortable walking through your church wounds with? I found sometimes greater comfort and support with non-Christians. And so this is a question which pertains to church wounds and walking through pain and uh, community. And so it's real light and easy to start off with. And so Pastor Janice, uh, give us some wisdom. <laughs> Well, to be honest, I think, yes, uh, it's, it's, it's very much many of our experience. We do find uh, comfort and support uh, very often from non-Christians that are, you know, more comforting, more supporting. 
of course, it's uh, you know we must say it's a misconception to say that comfort and support can only come from Christians, right? Mm. I mean, I don't think we think that. But um, and there are, I guess, there are occasions where we, for some reason, for whatever reason, people really cannot find. Um, and I can think of two reasons. Like primarily, maybe one is like culture. Maybe we're in a, an environment of church where uh, people tend to be very reactive, or uh, is perhaps a rather like a um, severe or dictatorial kind of environment. Perhaps like it, it just feels very hard to find any safe place or person. Uh, another reason could be, and also partly from personal experiences, where it's hard to find because of maybe relational dynamics, or um, uh, you know, if you're like in a position of like maybe leadership where you find this, you can't share with members or something and certain things. So it's it's harder, uh, yeah. But it, obviously I think we need to also say that I think most often when people go through church wound, you can't just find comfort and support within your own church community and that is enough. Because I think often you do need um, more perspectives and external kind of opinions. Uh, but I would caution, I think um, I also realize and this is more descriptive, right? Not prescriptive. I do realize people tend to filter uh, out, oh, you know, very quickly we dismiss, um, oh, this person is not safe, or like, I don't, cannot find anybody. Mm. It's rather blanket judgment. But I, 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 would, I would recommend, um, firstly, to be open. Because I think uh, we, instead of relying on like our own judgment or who we feel immediately drawn to, or a person we have very good chemistry with, or I don't, my, my go-to buddies, uh, to actually be more open to willing consider people that, uh, you know, what you need is the criteria is someone who's trustworthy or reliable. Uh, and, and that may not be someone that you immediately feel drawn to. Mm. But you can trust that person is reliable, mm. mature. So I think being open, and, and another thing that helps is being proactive. Because mm. I realized, and also, you know, just interacting with a lot of times in different church communities, we, um, we feel that people are not open and safe, but then we ourselves, like we also need to be proactive in terms of, you know, what vibes are you, you want people to be safe, but you yourself need to be like, do you give off that vibe? Like, are you a safe person as well? Sometimes I, you know, I want to uh, be really welcoming and open to someone, but like that person gives me the vibe, like, you know, stay away from me, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so it's kind of two way uh, to find safe space. So I would say be open, be proactive, to learn to also be willing to be led by God to the right person. I think God knows. Uh, who you can share with that may not be your selection, but God God would select and highlight that person. So you feel, oh yeah, I didn't think that person would be safe, but now that I think of it, thank you God, you know. Yeah. And so you can have uh, 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 that that moment. Mm. But so he, I will take this opportunity to say to us as a church, uh, and I think Tim uh, would agree because I've heard him say this. Is sometimes I think people don't feel that we are safe because we come in like this problem solving mode. Right. Um, uh, that's why it's f you find comfort and support more with non-Christians because sometimes as Christians we're like, oh, I you know I have answer for you. Here's what I'll say. Uh, I think that's why. Uh, so just a word, I guess, reminder for us as a community to remember that um, and to posture ourselves to be more uh, a place of comfort before we just give answers. Uh. Yeah. 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 Totally. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, it, it begs to be said that there is definitely a long ways to go uh, for a community in 
to becoming a, a place that is safe, that is whole, that's healthy enough to walk people through struggles and pain. I think it's just, just in general, as a people, we uh, are typically very uncomfortable around like pain or hardship or suffering. Right? Who, who is? You know? uh, I read a book recently that talks about how the churches are often like elevation church, just not the elevation church, but elevation churches, meaning that we are all about like up here, like happy, joy, let's yeah. celebrate. Yeah. And let's clap our hands, you know. And our church services are very much wired and structured that way. Mm. But it doesn't cover the entire breadth of not just Christian experience, but the human experience, really. Yes. You know, that we go through suffering and pain, and yeah. we don't have a representation of that in a church yeah. service, right? Yeah. Uh, whether it's something that we should revisit or something that we can take offline. And so, in general, we, we just have a hard time mm. responding to this. And so, mm. you know, we have the typical responses, right? Like, you either try to fix it or, like, mm. you tell a person going through a hard stuff, like, eh, at least you didn't have, you know, terminal <laughs> disease, you know, at least you're okay. Yeah. Or, like, people, you know, have it, like, far worse than you. Or you try and relate, you try and, like, share your own pain. You're like, yeah, you know, you went through that, like, once I had a paper cut and it was very painful. So, you know, and, and you try and relate. Like, I, I know I'm making dress, but we all, at some point, have, have yes. actually done it or experienced yeah, it, right? It, yeah. when, we, when we go through pain. And there's definitely a long ways to go mm. for our community. And so... Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's one as a point of reflection. Like, how can we grow to be a community that's not just safe, but actually, like, mm. whole space for people mm. as they uh, go through stuff like that. Mm. The other thing I'd like, like to point out is that, you know, we have to have a vision, you know, in the midst of a wounding and pain for what we want on the other side. Mm. You know, you talk about support and comfort, and we acknowledge, first of all, that support and comfort isn't exclusive to the Christian community, mm. but there's stuff in the Christian community that we have that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. If, you t if you have a vision for on the other side of wound, mm. I, want, I want to grow in a deeper yeah. faith. I want to like re have a renewed love for the church. Mm -hmm. I, would, I, would, I would say that it's safe to say that, that you, can, you can find that almost exclusively yeah. in the context of the Christian yeah. community. And so uh, my, my question is, like, you know, what, what do you want on the other side of this yeah. experience? So yeah. there's comfort and support, right? But also, actually, a, a, a word of alert to add to, to that is, uh, I think sometimes we, because we're hurting, we're thinking, oh, you know, where I can find comfort and support, that's great, it's good, it's good for me. But just a word of caution, I guess, it's good to also be mindful of, you know, the, the non-Christian that you're sharing with his or her sentiment towards God and the church. Uh, because sometimes it may be good for you, but then, like, what, what, what about the other person? Uh, you know, to share your church wound with a, a non-Christian can potentially uh, kind of add on to perhaps a negative sentiment or mm. pre-existing or, or create or create one actually, which is worse. So yeah. just a word of caution for, for us. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I want to uh, go, uh, just skip the order and go into question three because it relates to something that I just received on Slido. Mm. Uh, question three is this, why did God put me through a painful experience? I know the whole journey with God thing is never an easy one, talk, and uh, God put us through to make us see His goodness or to learn something, talk, but really, why? Why did God you know, put me through a painful experience? I know there's a lot here that we can get into, so tread with care. <laughs> but uh, there's a question that, that just came in a slide, though, and the question is this, I agree that we shouldn't avoid pain. How do we guard against an opposing tendency where we need, feel the need to always be struggling, to always choose discomfort? Right? And so these are like big questions that, that, uh, that we can grapple with. And so uh, maybe you can speak to that for just, for just a moment. Yep. Uh, great. What a 
great question to start with. Um, I think on the level of like you know why why things happen in our life uh, and the kind of disappointment that we have with God uh, and the kind of questions like, that we that we often have like right, right, but really why verbatim. Um, I think and I and I think probably um, Pastor Janice will supplement this more robustly, but I think uh, I, I think a lot of it sometimes can do with uh, the way that we. Um, that we view life, that we view success, that we view meaning. Um, I think the, the criterion in which we, we look at our lives and go like, this is going well versus this is not going well, uh, has a lot to do with it. I think that we often look at our lives and we, and we see things as being, um, you know, we, we ask the question why, because we see things as being meaningless pain. We see things as being, um, why did I have to go through that? I don't see the point of it. I, and, I'm, and that's why I'm left questioning, because I don't see the point of, of why I had to go through that. Uh, but I think in, 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 even in my own experience, like I found like the process for me to find healing for that uh, really involved God kind of shifting my perspective uh, on a lot of these things, shifting my perspective of what fruitfulness looks like, mm. shifting my perspective on, on what um, success looks like uh, mm. in this life. Um, I think we, we often uh, kind of apply a utilitarian kind of like approach to it, like, you know, the, we, we try and like do a cost benefit, we try and see, you know, where's the, the greatest good that's out of this, and then when we fail to see it, we're like, oh, what's going on? Uh, I think it's important for us to know that we have imperfect knowledge um, compared to the Lord. And, and so when he, he handles us in his dealings uh, and he leads us as a shepherd, you know, not all the times are we able to comprehend um, why these things happen. Yeah. Good answer. Jess? I was just reflecting on how uh, I think sometimes uh, what we do is, okay, we can say like, you know, if, if can God still be a good God, um, even when he allows suffering or pain and things like that? Um, a couple of thoughts is, one is, I think there is a difference, or it helps on a heart level, because I feel like this question is very much like, there's no answer that can resolve the, the questioning of the heart. Um, why? Like, I know these things, the question says, but really, why, right? Um, is that there, we, as humans, like, we see good, again, like, it's our knee-jerk reaction, our natural uh, understanding is good is benevolent good. Mm. But I think, you know, pull back, like, if, draw from the wisdom literature in the Bible and even Jesus' own experience, God is good because he is sovereign good. He is not just benevolent good. And his sovereignty means that, you know, there are things that we really cannot understand. It's beyond our certainty. And, and uh, what, how we define good cannot be seen within how we construct, like, time and space and within, like, the littleness of our life, the dash of our lives, right? But, I mean, God is, you know, can God still be a good God mm. even when he allows pain? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's something that we wrestle and, and hope that we come to a place of faith where, yes, because he is who I trust in. He is who I can rely on. And the second thought, actually, I realized that a lot of times when we go through this series, and I, I was just sharing this with Matt in detail the other day, and um, is that I think we struggle with a lot of these, like, you know, how, how can this happen? Why does God allow it? Is we're just looking at our own lives. Uh, but if I can say, I w want to open our minds up to just consider and be looking at God as in, like, because God is sovereign, God cares, yes, he cares very much for every detail in our own lives, but ultimately he has a shalom plan for like mm. all of humanity. Mm. 
And so if like the question on Slido is like, you know, do like I think we need to develop a more robust theology of suffering because it's not just about us, you know, facing pain or discomfort or not. Uh, how do we approach pain? Like, do we always be in this posture of seeking discomfort? If I may say, I, I, this is my conviction, I, well, I think yes. Because even if we are not going through a pain of unanswered prayer, lots of people are. And to need to grapple with this and to need to grapple with like, why does God allow pain? It's not when you're not going through it and it's fine, it's great. But so that God draws us to have a heart for those who are in pain, who are struggling with it. Mm. So is this question is not just for when you know, you're going through it. Well, I'm not going through it, so I don't need to. It is not about that. It's, it's beyond that. It's about the world that God has called us to, to be with. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I, I, in the interest of time, I'm just going to respond quickly to the question on, on Slido uh, because we have a few more questions we want to get to. Uh, this question of like, you know, how do we guard against the opposing tendency where we feel the need to always be struggling, to always choose this discomfort? You know, I think mm -hmm. of a, a friend of mine who uh, once, you know, uh, uh, you know, stepped into this great job and started to make a lot of money mm -hmm. and, uh, and he had all the means, he had like, all the comforts and he just felt bad the whole time. And this was a friend who was like a very prayerful guy, you know, just a faithful guy serving God and you know, just seeking God in, in many ways, you know, first. Uh, and literally experiencing that verse, right? You seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. And he experienced that and he felt guilty for, you know, when all things were added to him. And I think it's very important for us to not spiritualize an aspect of life and make it the end or be all of faith, right? We spiritualize like suffering and pain and we venerate it, right? This is the expression of faith or we vilify it, right? And the point we're, we're trying to make, uh, and, and hopefully I do justice to this question because it's such a, a deep and good question, uh, uh, is, isn't that, you know, we then all of a sudden think, equate the spiritual life to a life of pain? Not, not at all. What we're saying is that in pain, in pain that is unavoidable, that we experience just as a byproduct of life itself, we can meet God in pain. Right. The pain in itself is not the goal. Right? Just as doubt in of itself is not the goal. But doubt can very well be a spirit invitation to a deeper intimacy. And that's why we're saying that pain, really, really, you know, uh, if taken to God, can be the means of a deeper connection. And so I uh, just want to make that point clear. Right. Uh, let's move on to uh, another question. Uh, this is in relation to church wounds. Uh, I think it's a really important question that I would love for us to cover. Uh, the question is this, what if it's been a long time since the offense or wound happened? Do you still have to bring it up to the person or leave it in the past? Uh, my first initial response to this is that you, you first of all have to do a, a kind of self-awareness kind of check and assessment to ask, does that event still have a bearing on my life? Does it still affect me today, the way I view God, the way I view ministry, the way I view people? If it does, then yes, you know, this is something that needs to be addressed. If it doesn't, uh, my you know, honest pastoral uh, uh, suggestion, and I might be wrong, is this is don't poke the bear. You know, if there, there really isn't anything there, don't go looking for something. And if you are worried that they, there may be something there, Trust that the Holy Spirit will bring it up to you in the right time. But don't go looking for problems where there aren't uh, any. And so first of all, recognize uh, 
that you know, uh, whether it has a bearing on your life or not. And so uh, from that point, you know, uh, if you really need to confront a person or talk to a person about it, I think it's really important for us to first have a very managed expectation and confrontation. We cannot put, uh, or we cannot base our, our ability to walk in the wholeness on the other person's response. Especially if it's been like a long time and you suddenly go like, wow, 20 years ago, you didn't buy bubble tea for me and I offended, I wounded. Person may not give you like the, the response that you want. The person may not go like, I'll go buy a bubble tea for you, not no. And, and if we make our healing contingent on another person's response, that's a very flawed premise, it doesn't. Yeah. And so we have to have, a, first of all, like some kind of like clear goal of deconfrontation. Right? Maybe it's to release forgiveness. Maybe it's to rid ourselves of offense. Maybe it's to uh, seek reconciliation where possible, to not harbor offense any, any longer. Right? And so uh, to have a clear goal of the confrontation, I think that's really helpful uh, if you were to go that route. Yeah. Um, Jen, any, any input or shall we move on? Okay, uh, next question. The question is this. What's the best approach to work through doubts and trust to Holy Spirit to reveal or to seek the answers out first before informing anyone. Uh, any of you can go and uh, just share on this point first. Uh, this is on, yeah, best approach to work through doubts. Uh, so I, I think for me, uh, so I think it's between two things, right? Uh, and kind of like the order, right? So do I kind of work it out on my own with the spirit, uh, with the spirit's leading and, and figure this out myself first before kind of approaching people? Uh, so maybe the fear there is that, oh, maybe if I talk to people, then maybe they'll color my judgment and then I'll, I'll come to some sort of conclusion without the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, or conversely, do I uh, talk to people first and then after that, uh, then, then seek the Lord about it? Uh, I, I, I don't have like a... Uh, Formula. Or I don't. I don't think that one necessarily has to come uh, before the the other, um, and I think that's very. That kind of depends, and it's, and it's very uh, situational and, and into the Lord's leading. Uh, but I, I I would say that I, I think both are good and and both are necessary, mm. whichever the order is to to both you know not just uh, work this out on 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 my level or, or with friends, but really to sit with with the Lord to. To, to respond to his leading, um, but also not to just do that alone uh, and, and be closed off to him speaking to me through, through people. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah that's good. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I think to that point, you know, whether there's a right approach to it, uh, again, you know, I mentioned earlier that as a people, we've become very technique-obsessed and very formulas-driven, and so uh, you know, I would be hesitant to offer, like, here are three steps to take uh, best way to approach that. Uh, I can perhaps suggest elements that a few are great for you to have present as you work through any kind of doubt. Uh, the first off would be community. Like I mentioned in my sermon that the best theology that the church has historically has always come when groups of people get together. And our worst moments theologically has always been when one person comes to a conclusion in and of him or herself and tries to convince others of it. And so I can't overemphasize the great need for community as we work through doubt. And of course, to caveat, nuance it, there's a lot that we can grow in as a community in order to facilitate that. But community is no less important. The other thing is scripture. We are very prone to Googling, to trying to find sources uh, and stuff, but we have gradually as a generation lost just a great love and fidelity and value of scripture as, as being the means to which we enter into truth. We can find facts and true, what's true online, 
but we only enter into truth through the leading of the Spirit as He breathes upon the words of Scripture, illuminates it, and brings us into truth. And so if you want to discover truth, it comes only through the experience and not what you can find online. Uh, and the last kind of thing, you know, if I would have a Venn diagram, my last <laughs> circle will be patience. We need to recapture the theological value of a patient ferment, which I believe you know, it's present you know, in the writings of Paul as they correspond as a waiter in between times, that in between, that waiting, that tearing, that in between moment of like, I don't know, but you know, I hope I would find what I want, uh, what I need to know soon. That in between, right, is this like beautiful fermenting process that softens our soul towards God. And we have lost the art of patiently waiting. And so in doubt, if I can suggest, you know, you're working through any doubt, first of all, have community, have people to walk through with you, have the right kind of people to speak into that space. Second, lean into scripture in a deeper way and to cultivate a value, uh, the, the, the fruit of patience. Yep. All right, uh, last question. You know, we're running a bit out of time, but this is a fancy one, right? Last question. And the question is this. To what extent do I find a resolution in what I am searching for if it may lead to the wrong teaching unknowingly? Big question. And so... We'll, of course, have the youngest on the panel to answer this question. Tim. Yeah, with the wealth of experience of life that I have, <laughs> I hope to <laughs> be able to give something robust. Uh, so, um, full disclosure, I came prepared. This is not off the cuff. Uh, but I think we can approach the question with, um, first of all, I think there are two parts to this question. One is what does, so the question is to what extent do I find resolution in what I'm searching for uh, and if it may lead to the wrong kind of teaching unknowingly. So I think there are two parts. First is um, what resolution in deconstruction looks like. What does it mean for us to find resolution in that? And second is uh, how do I be careful not to be led into wrong teaching? Uh, so for the first part, I think it helps us to understand uh, the goal of deconstruction is not rational conclusion, but renewed conviction and relational connection with God. Mm. We must understand that deconstruction is uh, a process as opposed to an outcome. Uh, I, I think you know. The, I think Andre probably uh, referenced Adrian Saboda. He talked about. He gives this like a diagram of, of the process of deconstruction from construction, uh, the kind of belief that you have that you've inherited to deconstruction, where you question it uh, due to trauma, due to whatever have you, and then reconstruction, where you come again to this uh, renewed kind of conviction, renewed kind of trust and intimacy with the Lord. Uh, I think we see this in in the story of of Thomas, where he doubted. He says, "Unless I see the hands." Uh, unless I put my finger in, in, uh, in, into his side, I will not believe. Uh, and ultimately, we see him uh, as Jesus appears to him, as Jesus uh, guides him. He, he, he has this response that he says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. So it's both uh, a renewed kind of conviction in, 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 in the deity of, of Jesus, but it's also, a, uh, it's also a relational one. He goes, my Lord and my God. And, and you notice how personal the way Jesus uh, appears to him and reveals himself to him. Um, yeah, uh, Brian Zahn, kind of uh, author and a pastor, he says, for the Christian, deconstruction is not an end in itself. Uh, it alone is not a proper goal. We can't deconstruct forever. If all we ever do is deconstruct faith, eventually there'll be nothing left. But he says, instead, the goal of re-evaluating Christianity is authentic faith uh, and not cynical unbelief. Uh, and I think I've seen these two things in my life uh, of how deconstruction has led me to uh, renewed conviction and, and uh, restore relational connection with Jesus. 
I'm uh, just going to share really quickly. I think in conviction, I think uh, I, there was a season of my life where I doubted worship and worship leading and a methodology of worship. Uh, you know, then basically, yeah, I was like, huh, maybe this is really emotional and uh, maybe it's one of those major seven chords that really hits. Uh, sorry. But, <laughs> but it brought me on a journey where, you know, I had to explore a lot of different things. I had to explore how, you know, we are, you know, we are dealt by living in a broken world to, to God, to his presence, uh, theological aesthetics and, and things like that. And it, and it led me to a place of being renewed in my conviction. And so I, I don't experience that kind of dissonance when I, in, in what I feel God has called me to serve in. Uh, and the second is, is this whole idea of relational connection. Uh, and, and I think I, and it's pretty recent where I experienced uh, the passing of someone I knew in spite of like prayer and, and prophetic words. And, and that got me like, wow, well, just deep dive into questions. Uh, I remember immediately, like a couple of days, I sent both uh, Andre and Jenny, like many, many questions to which, yeah. Uh, and, and, but, and, and so I, I think this relational connection thing, like how, how, it, how the, the, the resolution for me was finding relational connection with God again came when I was talking to someone and, and as I was, you know, just like firing away, firing all my questions, all my cerebral questions about how does this work, how do prophetic words work, uh, as I was asking those questions, my eyes began to well up and, and I began to realize that underneath all these questions, I was deeply disappointed with God. Mm. And that was, you know, that was the kicker. That was the thing that, that, that was the kind of restoration that I needed to find um, to resolve that, that search. So I think, yeah, just these two things, if they can kind of help uh, in that search and that journey. Yeah, you know? beautiful. Well, just to make sure that we have this, because I, I, I saw you write it and say it, and I, th I thought it was really powerful. And so let's just jump into it. In, uh, in your preparation, you uh, talk about a false dichotomy that we often enter into. So maybe you can share about that false dichotomy before I kind of wrap up this time. Yep. Okay, great. So uh, I think this kind of uh, is kind of with the second part of the question, which is, you know, uh, when, we, when we talk about how do we not get led into wrong teaching uh, unknowingly. Uh, I appreciate that question because it presupposes that there is right and wrong teaching. Mm. Um, and I think wrong teaching is kind of, you know, what is contrary to our core doctrinal beliefs, creeds, standards of faith uh, to which you're the church community you hold to, uh, subscribes to, and, and the wider church. Um, and I think maybe, you know, when we think of that, we maybe we go like, oh, okay, but if I, you know, if I'm, I'm scared to cross these lines and, and things like that, uh, does that restrict uh, genuine questioning? Uh, is that spiritual bypassing? Would it mean I'm not being objective uh, in my questioning? Um, and... Going back to Brian Zahn, he when he describes deconstruction, he 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 likens it to demolishing. Uh, sorry, he 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 has a comparison lah. So he compares how we can demolish an old, dilapidated kind of structure, and he compares it to restoring uh, a beautiful piece of art. And and he says that deconstruction should be more like uh, the latter, right? It's done in care. It's done in reverence. You don't use a sledgehammer to do it. Uh, instead, you do, you use gloves and a, and a Q-tip. He says, in rethinking Christianity, we must keep in mind that we are handling something enormously precious, faith in Christ. And it's precisely because this faith is so precious that we are committed to the difficult task of restoring it reverently and gently. Um, but this is not to say that we cannot question. Right. I think that, okay, false dichotomy. I think that a false dichotomy exists when we assume we can, we can only either question or believe. Means I'm 100%, you know, if, I, if I question, means I don't believe, and if I believe, means I can't question. And I think there's a false dichotomy that exists there. I think we can both question and believe at the same time. Um, so sorry, something. I realize I should have had my Bible here. 
So something, right? Uh, and I think David gives us an example of what it looks like to both doubt, uh, both have questions and believe in God at the same time. He starts the psalm by saying, uh, in a song, the title of the psalm is A Song of Confidence in God's Triumph Over Evil. He says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide me in times of trouble? The wicked and his pride persecute the, the poor. And he goes on how like, you know, they're still blessed and, and he has all these questions and all these doubts. But at the same time, you know, later, later uh, further down in the psalm, he says, um, he, he, he speaks to God and he says, You are the helper of the fatherless. The Lord is king uh, forever and ever. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. Uh, you will you, you will do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. And so we see there that, you know, um, David starts it with like, oh, why are you a father of and all of that? And yet at the same time, he's able to say, God, you are still the father, the, the, the father of the fatherless. You still help the oppressed. And I don't think, you know, he's just flippant or he just decided to change his mind mid-psalm. I think he shows us that there's a kind of maturity in the way we can handle these doubts and still hang on to our beliefs at the same time. Um, I was told to read this slowly. So, I will try. Uh, as Christians, we are not to adopt uh, an entirely objective worldview in a pluralistic or a relativistic sense, which is, you know, uh, completely from scratch, ground zero, everything is open, everything is subjective. Uh, because the fact is that we have been saved in perhaps the most subjective of ways, which is our personal relationship with God as He has revealed Himself to us. And if He has revealed Himself to you in that personal way, if He has, if you're touching your heart, you know that Jesus has worked in your life, has touched your life, then I think it would be to a de degree disingenuous to deny him and his word altogether in the name of questioning and in the name of doubt. Mm. I think a mature response would be like David, to learn to live in that tension of both questioning and believing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. That's so great. That's so good. Well, uh, you know, just to wrap up with uh, one thought, and I know that we have uh, ran a bit over, but just one thought and then uh, Pastor Janice will close us in prayer. You know, often we you know when I talk to people about like calling and about like scripture and stuff like that, mm. uh, you know, many of these conversations, you know, I just sense a lot of fear in these conversations. So like fear of like, I am going to mess it up or like I, I don't want to mess up God's plan or I don't want to like enter into like some kind of deceptive thing, you know. And I think just as a general observation, like for many of us, we have more faith in our ability to mess up God's plan than faith in His love and ability to catch us when we fall. We have a whole lot more faith in our ability to like mess up the plan of the all-powerful one than in His ability to intervene, to step into the picture, to stop us from doing so. Uh, so, you know, with wrong teaching, you know, I think it's careful to, we have to draw a distinction between like teaching that is like deceptive, that seeks to pull the people of God away from God's love, his ways, his statutes. That was what Paul really spoke against, you know, in, 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 his, in his letters. But there's wrong teaching, which many of us think about as inaccurate teaching. As like, you know, where do we stand on like Calvinism and, and Arminian debate? Where do we stand on like the atonement theory? Where do we stand on eschatology? And we want accuracy. That's what we're talking about, right? We want wrong teaching. And the humbling thing we need to realize is this, right? That no single person on planet Earth will, will deliver, at the end of all days, a perfect and complete theological product. No one will. Only Jesus' perfect theology. And that's why I like the Karl Barth story. He talks about how he enters into heaven, this great mind, this theology, and say that heaven would be like this kind of great deconstruction process, right? Where all the words I've written will just be on the floor as a pile of waste paper, where all is reviewed. You know, and just as like something on theology, right? I think a few questions we can ask when we consider different views is one, is it moving me towards God and love? Is it moving me towards 
my neighbor in love? Is it empowering me to stand against all forms of injustice? Is it forming the fruit of spirit, fruit of spirit in me? And is it helping me to be honest about sin and its personal, interpersonal, institutional manifestations? Is it helping me be honest about where I'm at and what I need? And so these are like helpful things to kind of frame even theological pursuit. pursuit. But you know, with all that being said, you know, I, I love that line that we sang in the hymn just now. Oh Lord, haste the day where my faith shall be a sight. It tells me that there will be one day where there will be no more doubt, no more uncertainty, no more questions. All will be reviewed. All will be seen. There is coming a day. But it also says to me that this limited time that we have on earth presents itself as a unique window of opportunity to give to God a kind of worship that I cannot give to Him in eternity. A worship that comes at the expense of my uncertainty, of my doubts, my questions, my hardships. Even in that state, yet will I worship, yet will I praise. A sacrifice of praise, a worship that costs. And this time on earth, with all that we go through as people on the earth, it presents itself as a unique window opportunity to offer to God a unique kind of worship. Right? And so I'll just leave you with that as a final thought. But thank you so much for just tracking along with us you know, this last uh, few weeks. Uh, got some good questions that come in on Slido. We'll explore doing something midweek to make sure we get to those questions as well. But thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Pastor Janice, can you just close us in prayer to just the service and uh, the series? Okay. Uh, amen. Amen. God, we thank you that we can come together and uh, lean in primarily to you and your vision for our lives, for our faith. And Lord, this morning we're reminded of how you call us uh, to just relationship with you. And we, we remember that and we acknowledge that and we celebrate that together as a community. We say we long to just know you more. And uh, with all that we've discussed, so many things, so many questions, there's so many, like, you know, just um, uh, responses that so many of us can have. And yet, ultimately, we just turn our eyes to you and we say, God, that you are our vision for our faith to mature, to endure, to persevere. That God, even in the midst of these, uh, even as we go through with each other these things in life, even as we are, uh, you know, come to reckon with the various things that happens in our lives and the lives of people we know, God, not sweeping them aside. We say our vision is on you. We set our sights on you. We set our eyes on you. We fix our gaze on you. And so, Lord, um, lead us deeper. Lead us as you restored Peter. Lead us to an enduring faith that deepens not on our own in isolation, but deepens by the beckoning of your spirit, and Lord, by breakthrough, even in times with you, in silence or with words, and, and just breakthrough together as a community as we learn to grow together, not just in authenticity, but to be transformed by you beyond just that honesty, to be transformed through intimacy with you and with each other. And so to that we pray and we celebrate today. We give thanks to you for your goodness, your sovereignty in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Pastor Janice. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to the service. Have a great day ahead. Good week. All that good stuff. Stay safe.